The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. The moral of the story is all of us need to start with the end in mind. Amen? We need to know, not like I think, I sort of feel like I'm... We need to know where we're going. We got to understand these things. We got to get the best aim. We got to get the best vision we can, the best clarity we can for the future. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves just floating along like, I don't know, see where this thing takes me and kind of go on a journey. And God didn't design you for that. The Bible says without vision, people perish. Without vision, people perish. That's true for everybody and everything. That's true for your walk, your faith. It's true for your marriage. It's true for everything. We have to start with the end in mind. We have to start with the end in mind. In fact, when Christy and I, uh, before we got married, we went to a pre-married, it's a conference, a marriage conference, but they had a section for pre-married people. So we felt like we fit in this because we weren't yet engaged. We were about to get engaged. We were praying like, God, what's the future for us? So we went to this uh, big conference in San Diego and they had a section for pre-marrieds. And as we had a breakout group, They said, listen, we want you to sit down and pray and talk to each other, get with God, get with each other, and we want you to pray and dream, dream of what your future looks like together. Get together and pray and dream. What does it look like? Do you have a picture? So everyone was asked, in fact, the whole conference was asked to do this, to sit down with their spouse and go, I don't know, what do you think God has for us? And pray and dream. I don't know. The Bible says this. Seems like these things are good. And although we don't know the future and although we don't control the future, uh, God knows we can sure aim at one. Amen? Because people perish without vision. So uh, if you pray, God will give you a vision. And we prayed like, Lord, what do you you want for our future? So we figured, well, we want to be God-honoring people. We want to have a God-honoring marriage. We want to try to raise kids for God's glory. Of course, they all have their own nature. Anybody got kids, you don't control that. You just encourage that and steer that the best you can and you pray for these kids our daughter right now is on a missions conference doing worship in Hawaii I'm like yes and you know I mean the kids are starting to find their place in serving God it's great uh, the bottom line is we we prayed that our kids would grow up to honor God we prayed that uh, in our life we'd be able to reach people for Christ build people up for Christ send people out for Christ that when we're older here's what the picture was when we're older We'd like have this house with a porch um, and the kids would come by Sunday nights for dinner and, you know, just see what God's doing in all of their lives, hopefully honoring God and, and, and people would be coming by that we did ministry with through the years and friends and going, what is God doing out there? And just touching base on all the cool stuff that's going on. And in the later years of our life, we would just have a big smile, just enjoying what God has done. Wouldn't that be cool? If you could look at your life in the rearview mirror and go, man, that was an epic ride. That was awesome. All the cool stuff we got to partake in, really God did it, but we aimed at it and God gracefully allowed it. Whatever that is, whatever that is, I think it's imperative that we start with the end in mind. I think it's imperative that we have a vision for the future. Uh, If you're single, have a vision for your singleness. If you're married, have a vision for your married marriage. No matter what, have a vision for your walk with God, your gifts, your calling, your future. But God is so concerned that we know the future. He spelled it out in Scripture for us. There's some pretty clear things, and there's some sections that are a little bit vague. 
but we have a bunch of prophecies about the future. And as we're going through Matthew's gospel, we're landing in Matthew 24, where they ask him this glaring question. What about the future? What's it going to look like? How will we know when you're coming back and tell us what it looks like? But this is so important, guys, to to start with the end in mind and get a vision for uh, your future. In fact, uh, speaking of marriage, there was some breaking news this week. I don't know if you guys got it on your news feed, um, but breaking news that came out, a study was just released that came out this week, and it said that the rate of divorce after the age of 50 has doubled, doubled since 1990. So after the age of 50, the divorce rate has gone up 100%. Isn't that crazy? Like a, like a rocket. Um, and the article went on to say about people after the age of 50, when they did get divorced, that the, the quality of life for both demises pretty dramatically. It seems like maybe since 1990, maybe, maybe, couples stopped having a vision for their future. Maybe. And when you stop having a vision or you don't have one, there's nothing to aim at. How many of you know if you aim at nothing, you'll be sure to hit it? You aim at nothing, you'll be sure to hit that. So you pray about a vision from God. You pray about it. And you're not going to make it happen. But if it's a God-honoring vision, if you seek him first, he'll give you the desires of your heart. You pray about a vision. You aim at the vision. You walk it out in faith. And you let God do the rest. But hopefully, we could look at the future and go, God, I'm aiming at something that makes you smile. And you're going to get to see that. So Jesus is in this passage right now. And he's letting these guys know, guys, if you could just see your future, the way I'm going to explain it, it might change the way you live. It might change your present. It might change what we do and why uh, we do it. And as we continue in Matthew 24, if you guys have your Bibles uh, or you're on your phone, however you read the word, we'll also put it on the screen for you. Um, They asked Jesus, when are you going to return? When is the return of the king? And what will be the signs of the end of the age? So they asked Jesus these two loaded questions. And uh, last week we looked at the beginning of this. um, And today we're going to be picking up in verse 14. But last week, He said, listen, towards the end, towards the latter days, not the very end, but as it gets closer to the latter days, he says there'll be wars and famines and earthquakes. Anybody feel any earthquakes lately? Uh, Earth earth shakes, it's on a timeline. It's like a gallon of milk has an expiration date, right? You might not know, but the planet has one too. We don't know it, but it wasn't made to last and stay forever. Um, In fact, scripture says the flowers fade and the earth will but the word of God lives forever. The point is, things shake, things move, wars, famines, earthquakes. It says there'll be an increase of wickedness, and it talks about a persecution of those of us who are in the faith. Not people, let me be clear, not people who are spiritual, not people who say they believe in God or some form of higher power. That's not what it says. Jesus says there'll be persecution on account of me, Jesus said. Jesus, everyone say Jesus. For Jesus, for standing for Jesus, that's what the persecution will be. Um, in fact, when you look back at history, the Roman Empire, uh, they didn't have a problem with religion. A lot of people think, oh, they persecuted religion. No, they didn't have a problem with religion. In fact, in the Roman Empire, you could have any religion you wanted, they could care less. They just wanted you to do what all the Romans do. Participate in the games, we throw people down to lions, we all cheer, this is what we do. doesn't matter what your religion, this is what we do. And the Christians were starting to go... Actually, that's pretty evil, and we're actually going to bow out of some of these things. And that's what the Roman Empire had a big issue with, the Christians, because the Christians were removing themselves from some pretty messed up cultural circles that they're like, this is totally defying my convictions in the word and the spirit, 
I can't participate in that. I got to take, take a step back because God is calling me higher. Rome had a big problem with that. But in the latter days, we're going to see this tension, again, surrounding Jesus and those who follow Christ uh, specifically. And when we look at a topic like this, it, um, we said last week, it causes two very raw emotions, very raw emotions that we have. Some are like, oh, this is so cool. Tell me more. Uh, I love to know about this end time stuff. And the other is, yeah, it kind of freaks me out and I don't really want to hear that. And we, we did by a show of hands last week. We saw that some people are in the camp of tell me more, tell me more, I want to know. And others are like, it's kind of weird. I don't really want to know that. That is not something new. In the book of Acts, the apostle Paul, who is arrested, is brought out of jail before this governor named Felix. And Felix and his wife want to hear Paul talk. They're intrigued. Tell us more about this faith. Tell us some more about the faith. And Paul goes on about the faith, and as soon as he gets to the part about the future and what it's looking like and what it goes down, they go, stop, 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 stop. That's enough. Go back to your jail cell. I'll call you if I want to hear any more. So this idea of like, yes, I want to know more, or no, thank you, is kind of something innate in us, but I'm telling you this morning, God wants you to know your future. And you don't have to be phobic and focus on every minutia detail because Jesus says right out of the gate, no one knows the day or the hour. Who, who knows the day or the hour? No one does. And you need to know that because that's the main thing. It's not like, well, they know and they said this, so that means it's next month or next week or Jesus has got all these things we're going to see come up in the scripture. No one knows the day or the hour. But we're going to see some symbols and signs. We're going to see some seasons coming up in the next week or two where some of these seasons you go, Hmm, that's an interesting marker of a season, but no one knows the day or the hour. Uh, and so as we, we go through this, we're going to see some of these things. Uh, here's, here's the first uh, thing you need to know about this. And we covered this last week. Um, by the way, let me just preface it this way. There are different views of the end times, well-intended Christians who love Jesus, who study his word, scholars who love the Lord, who are believers, who have a few, there's different views, but let's just say a few different views, a few main different views. The main ones that people are typically concerned with is on the earth when things start to get weird and difficult and really challenging and this tribulation thing to come that the Bible says, uh, the number one question a lot of people have is, when are we out? Number one, that's all I want, when are we out? And uh, some have the view of pre-tribulation where you're out before anything really goes down and don't worry, you won't be around, you won't see any of that mess. Some have the view in the middle of it that things are going to get pretty bad and somewhere in the middle. And some have the idea of post, pre-mid and post-tribulation. Here's the thing about views. um, And I have dear friends who have different views and it's okay. I don't think Jesus said, if you're wrong on your view, you're not entering the kingdom. He didn't say that. Um, so I think there's a little grace for views and rooms on this stuff. But the point is this. Our, our perspective on end times will not actually change the end times. Amen? If you see it one way, it doesn't mean it's going to happen that way. Um, many people feel it's this way, but we might find out it's going to it's roll out this way. And we'll see from Scripture there's some good plausible reasons why people have Um, these views, but our view of the end change doesn't actually change the way the end times rolls out. End times and God's sovereignty are going to roll out. We have scripture as a roadmap. We have the Holy Spirit as a compass. And between the two, we check our word, try to correctly divide, and we try to come up with an understanding and a framework for how it rolls out. Again, scholars in different camps seeing it a little bit differently on some of the 
um, some of these areas. So I just want to allow grace for that. But the main thing we looked at last week, it was the takeaway, and I want to start this week, is we see in Scripture, if there's one thing you understand about this whole end times, this is something very important for you to know. Uh, And I wish it was explained to me this way from the very beginning, but it wasn't until a lot of study where I started to see this glaring reality about it. There is tribulation, there's tough times, difficult times, and if you look at the history of the church, we have not seen any era of Christianity that was just flat out exempt from a difficult time. Uh, When you look at the Jesus himself, they were trying to stone him, weren't they? Before he walked out of a crowd, ultimately crucifying. Uh, That was pretty big trial. That was tribulation times, right? Uh, In the sense of going through a difficult trial and a pressure and a tribulation and an opposition. Um, The early church, some people were thrown to lions or crucified upside down definitely endured their tribulations. Uh, Paul was arrested and beaten and all these things for his face, tribulations. We have Christians today on, in different parts of the world and some Arabic nations and stuff going through extreme persecution for their faith. If you ever read Voice of the Martyrs, you will find modern-day Christians enduring various tribulations around the world. Jesus said, you will always have tri- tribulation. Jesus said, you'll have, so there will always be tough times. And it's important to say that because modern Christianity has this American view, you won't have tough times except Jesus, it's all good, before anything's bad, you're out of here, and everything just sounds so rosy. The only problem is when somebody hits a difficulty in life, it becomes really hard to navigate. And when we look at the history of the church, believers, we're in this world where it's a fallen world, and there's brokenness all around us, and we're not exempt from the the fallen nature of the fallout around us with the trials and the speed bumps and some of these things, or even persecutions. Um, And so we're not exempt from those. But the takeaway from last week was this, guys. Difficulty is one thing. And as you read this, and if you read the book of Revelation, you'll see this a little bit more clearly. And you'll see tough times, and you'll see difficulties, and you'll see what seems like believers are in the problem and the difficulty. But there is a point. Everyone say a point. There is a point where things tip. And that tipping point has to do with wrath, where God pours out wrath because there's a time of judgment. Bible says this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Thessalonians, God's people will not endure or suffer any kind of wrath. So we have tough times, we have wrath. It's a mountain, and when we're going to be out before any tough times, in the middle of it, and people have a view, but there is clearly a tipping point. Everyone say tipping point. We're going to read the tipping point today. You are going to find what the tipping point is, where it turns from difficulty to wrath. And I think that's one thing that we should know, and I wish somebody showed me that early on, because it would have helped me discern tough times, tough times, tough times. Oh, wrath. No, we're not in that for sure, but tough times, it varies in our views of what sort of tough times um, we will go through. If you're a note taker, here's our first point this morning, and this is important for you to know on this topic um, that, that Christ followers have never been exempt from tribulations. Never. From the beginning of time. We've never been exempt from them. But we will never suffer God's wrath. And that is your takeaway you need to know to give you peace in your heart, understanding in God's word. When you read Thessalonians on this topic, that was a church that was very, very concerned, more than the others, about end times and how they're going to roll out. And if you want to read First and Second Thessalonians, you'll get some detailed answers. We'll touch a little of this today, but uh, on 
the concerns on the time. And, 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 and what Paul's saying is, don't be alarmed. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be concerned. This is, I'm telling you this so you can rest and have peace. Even though there's going to be stuff rolling out, don't be all on the edge about it. And so the heart of God, the Spirit of God, gives us a spirit of peace. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give us panic or anxiety or fear. Those things are not from Him. God says, I did not give you a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. So when it comes to the future, it's not supposed to be, uh oh, what about, er, er, you know, panic. It's supposed to be, no, thank God He already told us. God is for us, not against us. We're going to see, we're not exempt from tough times, but no matter what, we're not going through wrath. So we, you know, it's one thing going through a battle, but how many know it's easier to go through the battle when you already know you won the war? Can I get a witness? When you already know you won the war. Not I think I do. You know you won the war. It's a lot easier to go through the battle. So Christ followers have never been exempt from tribulation, but we will, we're never going to suffer God's wrath because that is promised to us and that's God's very nature uh, behind that. He says that again and again. But today we're going to look at uh, one clear marker as, as we start from the very beginning. There's signs of the end of the age. That's the question they asked Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. When are you coming back? What's going to be the signs? And Jesus says some very clear marker. And if you want to write down some clear markers, I just want to give you some of the big rocks today that are pretty glaring, monumental rocks. There's finer uh, uh, prophecies in the Bible that uh, delineate little things, and there's a lot of things to look at if you're uh, intrigued in this area. And I do want to encourage you, uh, Tom's life group is going through the book of Daniel right now that is paralleling this passage and is going through a great detail on some of the minutia. So if this is intriguing to you, I encourage you guys, jump into Tom and Linda's uh, on Sunday night. They have a, an amazing, and he's been teaching the word for 30 years, um, and you will love it out there. But this is going deeper on, uh, you know, what does the Old Testament say, and how do we overlap that, and where does, it, where does it fit? It will help this all come together. But jumping to Jesus' words in Matthew 24 picking up in sections in verse 14. Here is a clear marker, a clear delineation of the prophetic calendar. There's a calendar going on, and you and I aren't looking at the clock. We don't see numbers turn. You ever see the, the national debt numbers? Uh, there's a thing in your that's just rolling. You can count it. You can keep up with that stuff. There isn't a calendar like that that we see visually, optically, but there are some clear markers. And when this thing happens, boom, We're waiting for the next thing. There's clear indicators, and those are pretty clear in Scripture. Here is a clear marker in verse 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Sorry, we didn't have those Scriptures. Um, My apology on that one. Um, It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, And then the end will come. There is a clear delineated marker, and it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, going into the whole world. Everyone say, whole world. Whole world. You couldn't have said that, you know, even 30, 40 years ago because we had so many limitations on so many things. Honestly, uh, we had language barriers. We had cultural barriers. We had so many things. It would be virtually impossible in any other generation for this to happen. But now we are translating Bibles in every language, known or unknown. We're finding people groups first thing we're doing is discovering their language just to communicate the heart and the love of God to people, every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is happening on our watch. These are some pretty interesting markers, Uh, but the gospel will be shared to the entire world, uh, and then the end will come, and that's because God wants to give everyone an opportunity to respond to his free gift of forgiveness. 
So the gospel will permeate all area, areas from the Eskimos to the North Pole, the South Pole to uh, you know, all ends of the earth. And, uh, and, and that's important because this involves us, family. This involves us. When the, when the Lord is saying he wants his gospel, the gospel of his kingdom, his ways, that means he's the king and we're not. He's the Lord and we're not. He's got a better way. He provides forgiveness, restores relationship with God, gives us eternal life. Um, when, when we look at this gospel of the kingdom, you and I have a part in it because all throughout scripture, it's not the angels running out and telling everybody about the gospel. It's believers, sons and daughters of God telling others about the gospel. So you and I have an integral part of this prophecy being fulfilled to partner with God in what he wants to do or bow out and not walk in what we're really called to uh, walk in. In fact, uh, what we're called to walk in is to reach the lost. And I guarantee every one of you in this room knows somebody who is not in the faith, they're not in Christ, they haven't received this free gift of forgiveness. And for you to be able to break it down in the simplest of ways, for you to be able to share your own story, for you to encourage them, hey, it is a decision, but I'm not pushing it on you. If you're ready to make that choice, God's got nothing but life for you. And if someone is ready to make that decision, to pray with them, you pray with them and encourage them into that decision and then simply begin walking alongside them as you help them grow. And you don't have to be a scholar. You just begin to walk alongside them with what the Lord's shown you. Help them plug in, help them connect. This is just straight up lifestyle evangelism. Uh, and by the way, the Bible says to go into all nations, reaching the lost, which is going into all of your nation, going into all your world, reaching the lost, and even baptizing them. I was preparing this message, you know, today at the, uh, at the beach, I hope some of you guys are going to, I hope all you guys get to come because it's fun. Uh, come to the beach, and anybody if, who wants to be baptized, if you haven't been, will do baptisms today in the ocean. If you have not been baptized, listen, if you haven't been baptized, maybe you were sprinkled as a kid, but you had no idea what you were doing, uh, everyone in the Bible we see baptized knew what they were doing, and they were old enough to go, yup, I'm following Jesus, I get it, and here's an indication. In fact, it was the very first act of obedience. Everyone who said yes to him, the first thing they did was immediately stop and get baptized. So um, the point is this, if you haven't been uh, water baptized, today is your day. If you have a friend or family member, have them come down if, that, if they're willing to take the step. In fact, if you have a friend or family member, why don't you join me in baptizing them? Yes, you join me in baptizing them because a lot of us think, well, I don't do that. That's what they do. And that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says it's a priesthood of all believers. Everyone say priesthood of all believers. It is a priesthood of all believers. So we reach the lost and we encourage and we grow people and we, we baptize them. And I want everyone in this room to have the opportunity to baptize somebody because you'll realize, wow, I actually am part of the priesthood. It's a really cool cool thing to step, uh, step over this line in this part of the kingdom. But the gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony, and then the end comes. And here is another, that is a clear marker, the gospel reaching. Now, you and I don't know when that time is happening, but we know it's happening more on our watch than any other generation before us because of technology, internet. There could be people in full-on Islamic countries looking at something in their newsfeed or on their phone and go, oh, so that's what the gospel is. Uh, so there are ways right now of the gospel permeating areas that were previously uh, not reachable, people groups. And so here then becomes an incredibly clear tipping point that we talked about. This becomes a tipping point where we're like, oh, this is going to go really quickly from difficulty 
to wrath. And when we talk about the rapture, which the Bible talks about God's people being taken up, this, this begins to set it up for us a little bit more clearly. Jesus says in verse 15, So, when you see standing in the holy place the quote-unquote abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. We're going to unpack that. He elaborates on this time. He says, Then let those who are in the Judea let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the house, housetops go down to take out uh, anything out of the house. Uh, let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for a pregnant woman or nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world or until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive for the sake of the elect. Those days will be shortened. So Jesus starts out quoting a prophecy of Daniel. Again, this is where Tom's group is jumping in this section of Scripture in Daniel. Um, but in Daniel chapter 12, uh, Daniel is given this prophecy, um, you know, 800 years earlier or so about the end times. And Jesus is bringing it into three-dimensional clarity on the way things are going to go down here. But, but what he's saying is there is a clear, marked, delineated tipping point on the prophetic calendar in the future, and it has to do with this individual. Um, some call this the abomination that causes desolation, which simply means, abomination means it's such a horrendous act. This individual in the spirit of Antichrist is going to do something so, so messed up that God knows it's coming, but he's like, that is the tipping point. And so it explains to us what the actual act is so that you and I can look on the prophetic calendar when it actually does happen, if we're around, we'll go, that is exactly what scripture says. And so the abomination is this horrendous act that becomes the tipping point because it is so ungodly, so like profoundly evil, um, and that becomes the tipping point and causes desolation. It causes, again, this next step of wrath and things to be poured out. So this is an individual that does something so unholy, antichrist in spirit, that it brings God's wrath. We know from Scripture and other Scriptures that the temple, and Daniel says this as well, the temple will be rebuilt again. Israel has not had a temple for 2,000 years. When they rejected the Messiah, prophetically that was a mark of losing their temple. Israel and the temple got destroyed because they rejected their Messiah. For 2,000 years to this date, Israel doesn't have a temple. They have no way to do sacrifice. Now, you and I know they don't need to do sacrifice because the Lamb of God already came to be the ultimate sacrifice, amen? They don't need one anymore, and that's why there is none. That's the real reason why. However, there will be a point when they say, now, and, and by the way, for 2,000 years, they didn't even have a land, a country, to even build a temple in. But guess what? After almost 2,000 years, 1948, they became a nation again. Interesting. So after 2,000 years, the prophecy could never be fulfilled anyway, but now they have a nation again on our watch, essentially, and that's an interesting opportunity for them to build a temple again, which you could not have said for the last 2,000 years. But there will be a time when the temple is rebuilt again in Jerusalem. And we know that when they build the temple, they will establish the sacrificial system again. Uh, again, you can look up the Temple Institute 
You can Google it and you'll see that they have everything ready to go. They've got all the articles that they need and all the pieces they need to do it according to Mosaic law. There's great preparation in this. Um, but while they're doing this sacrifice again, doing the, uh, the Jewish sacrifice that was under uh, the law of Moses, we're going to see in a, there's a seven-year period and right smack in the middle, everyone say middle, Daniel's, gospel, Daniel's prophecy gives the actual time. He's giving days. He's giving you a count. He's giving you the math, uh, which is pretty profound. And he says that right in the middle, which is the three and a half year mark, this individual who isn't going to really probably, we're not going to know his true, true nature, his or her true nature, demonic spirit through an individual, is finally going to say, now flip it all around and worship me. And they're going to flip this sacrifice to themselves, which is the absolute abomination. To to steer, you know, I'm the Lord your God, have no others. To steer it to themselves is what the devil's been trying to do all along to get people to follow him and to to worship him and and come under his control and under his um, leadership. And this abomination, that's what's going to happen. This Antichrist is going to steer it back on themselves, direct worship that way. And after three, that's when he's going to, reveal his true nature, his true aim. And this is what we see becomes, becomes the absolute tipping point, tipping point for judgment. We're going to see things happen really quickly here. And the Bible's saying, in fact, I'm going to speed it up really quick because the time, it's going to get so out of control for the sake of the elect. I'm going to shorten the days right when that happens. I'm going to shorten the days because the tipping point is actually occurs on that three and a half year mark when this individual does this heinous act, very just horrendous act, that becomes tipping point and we see everything uh, begin to change. Um, in fact, Daniel says, if you want to read the math in Daniel, and I'm sure Tom's uh, life group will be unpacking the details of the math, but literally when he does this, there's a four, about a 43 day window in there where it's going to get so bad, God's like, I'm, I'm not letting it go beyond 43 days. I'm literally, I'm taking the elect out because this is moving along. It, the, the fallout is about to happen. So it says then, if you're in Judea, uh, flee because there's going to be a great distress. So for those who are in Israel, when this thing happens, that's the epicenter, that's ground zero. And it's saying, listen, you, don't, you better flee because things are changing really quick. But the Bible does say, for the sake of the elect, the chosen people, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church, the family of believers, I'm going to shorten uh, the days. So the second point is this, guys. Um, if you want to understand basic things of the timeline, the first one we said was the gospel is going to um, be reached uh, throughout the earth. That's a clear indicator. The second one is that the, the rapture will not happen until the man of lawlessness is revealed. This same name or term for this abomination that causes desolation or the antichrist or antichrist spirit behind the individual doing this. It's clearly uh, Satan moving through an individual. And so uh, the rapture won't happen until this happens, which is an interesting marker uh, because no one will get confused. Now, to be fair, uh, when Hitler was having his heyday, some people thought, hey, maybe this is, maybe this is it. I mean, that's pretty darn evil. I mean, the guy is genocide, wiping out uh, cultures and people and six million Jewish people. And it sounds to me that's about as dark as you can get. And so a lot of people at the time were thinking, this guy's trying to conquer the world. Maybe it is, but uh, it didn't fulfill. There was no temple. There wasn't any of these other things. Um, Might have been a foreshadow in some kind of ways, but the point is that wasn't it. 
But this man of lawlessness will be revealed, and that will be an individual who sets themselves up in the temple, and after three and a half years, turn it back on themselves, and that becomes the tipping point. Here's a scripture I want to read to you really quick. You can write this down uh, or turn there if you want, but at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and this is Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica about the end times, their concern, they got like, what's the future? We really want to get clarity on this thing, on the timing, and And he's like, okay, let me explain it to you very simply. And he breaks it down this way. He says this to them. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, the day of the rapture, the day of God coming back for his people, and that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The rapture won't happen until the man of lawlessness is revealed. Uh, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that, listen to this, he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. This is, again, scriptures connecting dots in Daniel, in Matthew's gospel, Thessalonica, where we're like, oh, this is, a, this is not a reach at all. This is exactly the same topic, same person, same spirit, same timing, that when this individual does that, that's when the rapture will come, obviously then or immediately after, but we're going to see that as we jump back in the passage. But the rapture won't happen until this man of lawlessness is revealed, the Bible tells us. Uh, So moving in verse 23, it goes like this. At that time, this is right when this guy reveals himself, like immediately, at that time, uh, if if anyone says to you, uh, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east uh, is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So this is saying that at that time in this panic and, you know, the Antichrist is revealing himself through this, you know, self-imposed worship, uh, that becomes tipping point. And in this fallout, some are going to go, oh, Messiah's here, Messiah's there. And some are going to be, if you don't know your word, listen, if you don't know your word, you'll be confused too. Uh, Remember we said you got to start with the end in mind? God's giving you everything you need for life and godliness. God's giving you the coordinates. He's giving you the markers. You can know what you're aiming at so that you can start with the end in mind. Uh, At this time, people are going to go, some people are going to be telling you when he's coming back. There's been so many false prophecies. When Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour, that means no one knows the day or the hour. There have been prophecies even in America where people have picked a day and a time and they've wrecked the faith of many, many people. Uh, But if you know your word, as soon as you hear that, you go... That's ridiculous. You know, you could almost laugh at somebody who comes up because no, Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour and you would be able to say, and neither do you, right? And people don't listen to him. Jesus said the opposite of this guy. Don't listen to him. But instead, people are like, well, maybe he's right. And, you know, and, and people's faith gets shipwrecked because they simply don't know God's very simple revelation that he's putting out. This isn't complicated stuff. Some of it is really just face value, simple to read on its face, Um, simple understanding of the simple message. He says, don't believe any false prophecies about the Messiah. Uh, It's not true. Um, Here he is, there he is. Uh, When Jesus comes back, it's going to be instantly. Everyone say instantly. Instantly. 
bam, like lightning camp, whoa. And, and there's going to be more coming up like a thief in the night. Like if I had any idea it was tonight, I would have locked my door. Uh, or maybe your car ever got broke. If I knew, I would have had my alarm on. I didn't have my alarm on. It's going to be like, I didn't know, you know, and boom. So it's going to be an instantly where people aren't going to be like any day now, any second. Um, it's going to be instantly, and it's not going to be, here's the Messiah, uh, there's the Messiah. It's going to be instantaneous. And then he moves on in uh, verse 28 with an interesting phrase, um, which, which must have meant in the first century, uh, this leads to that. You know, it's one of these uh, uh, terminologies. But it says this in verse 28, where, the car- where there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after, everyone say after. after. Immediately after the distress in those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the people on the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth, heavens to the other. This is talking about cataclysmic events in the sky, things changing. Again, we go from difficult times, if you look at going up the hill, uh, tribulations, hard times in life getting harder, just like they did for the early Christians, Roman Empire, it kind of got worse and worse and worse until Christianity became, became legal. Uh, but when it was illegal, there was a severe persecution. And then at times of the church, it mellowed out. And other times, uh, you know, you had people uh, early on translating the early Bibles, early translations of the Bible, who were being uh, burned at the stake, burned at the stake for translating a Bible. Uh, there's been tough times, tribulations, uh, you know, a lot of the Puritans, the pilgrims, they, they figured they couldn't even, they were being persecuted for their expression of faith. They wanted to come across the water to, to America to have a freedom to express faith. There's been various levels of persecution all over, some very intense, some not. But the, the tough times and tr- troubles and persecution is one thing. There's a tipping point and there's wrath on the other side. That's what you need to know. You are not subject to this. But we pray not to not have this, but the bottom line is, guys, we, we will always have varying levels. Even in our lives right now, some of you may be going through some form of intense tribulation and trial in your life. It might be directly from your faith, and it may not be, but the point is, we were never exempted from that. Jesus never promised you will not have tribulation. He says there will be tribulation. Uh, but there's going to be these, cladical, after the tipping point, after the, this man of lawlessness or the abomination of desolation, uh, appears to do this, there's going to be immediately, it says, there's going to be this kind of fallout that we see begin to happen, cataclysmic things. The sun's going to be darkened. There's a change in the atmosphere. The moon's not going to give off its light, which means something about this, the atmosphere, the clouds, or things are not visible. We see the heavens shaken, so to speak, which is um, earthly bodies. You know, God's put the universe... You, you ever see someone spin a basketball, and then they spin two basketballs, which is pretty cool? Like, I don't know how they get two going. Uh, but God's got like a million of them going. You realize that? God's got like a million of them going, all at the same time. That one's here, that one's here. And he's got orbits and galaxies, and they're all working and pulling and pushing. And is the earth expanding? Yes, it was. But wait, I think it's contracting now. What's going on? And scientists trying to figure out, like, what is going on? They can't figure out. This is way more complicated than a Swiss watch, everybody. Uh, God spoke this universe in his divine order, and he's got this massive creation. And guess what? When God says it's time, like a Swiss watch, for the spring to break, 
when God says it's time, the spring's going to break. And all the gears are going to get a little weird and wonky, right? It's not going to work perfectly, right? Uh, things are going to start to manifest. And God has this amazing timeline because uh, he said from the beginning, we weren't made for this, we were made for eternity. Life is a test, it's a trial, it's a temporary assignment. And don't ever forget that because if you do, you think this is everything and you want to cling on to it. You want to you live for this world. You want to cling on to this world like it's everything. And it's not. It's fading away. It's passing, guys. These earth suits are fading every day. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? They're fading every day, these earth suits. That's all it is. We get a new heavenly body. We're made for greater things. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. You can't even get your head around it. You can't get your mind around it. You can't get your heart around it. It's going to be monumental and epic, and there's going to be truckloads of rewards for the sons and daughters of God who are faithful. But as this earth is coming off its rails and this stuff is going to happen, there's these manifestations. And in the middle of these shakings that are going on, there will be a sign that all will see. Even though the skies are weird and stuff's going on, there's going to be a sign everyone's going to see. And as the east from the west, like lightning, boom, and everyone's like, whoa, did you see that? Everyone's going to be the, see the sign, Jesus said, of the Son of Man coming in glory on the clouds. There's going to be this representation where people are going to go, oh, my goodness, and just fall to their knees and, and mourn. They're going to mourn because they know they were never following him their whole life. And, and when I look at this passage, you know, I think everyone's got an opportunity their entire life to say yes to Jesus, even on their deathbed, even on skid row. Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I, I mean, God's grace and his mercy are profound. But it looks like this passage, after this Antichrist, and God goes, okay, I'm, a, I'm flipping from tribulation. We're going to, ju- it seems like over this hill uh, is a pretty big challenge right here because there's going to be a lot of people that just mourn and go, oh no, I denied him my whole life. I never found him. And they're on the mourning side of this equation. They're mourning. The angels will sound a trumpet call. It says the elect, the chosen are gathered, the chosen. Some people wonder if that's the Jewish people. In this passage, I think Revelation does talk about Jewish people coming to faith in the difficulties to come. Clearly, there's a delineated part where Jewish, but this passage, it doesn't look like the, the term is being used to me of the Jewish people in this passage. The elect are the called out, the chosen, the church, the believers. Uh, many are called, but few are chosen. God loves the whole world that he sent his only son. Whosoever will receive him. And that means God is calling, I believe, when I, my read of scripture, God's calling every one of you but you have to raise your hand and say, yes, I'm in. And God says, I pick you. And then you got to raise your hand and God's like, I pick you. I, I pick you and I pick you and I pick you and I pick you. And God's calling everyone, but whoever's raising their hand, he says, I, I pick you. Those are the chosen ones because you said yes and raised your hand and God's picking and choosing. And this time in scripture, the elect, the chosen are going to be gathered from the corners. Those are all who responded to the call of God and they will be taken up. It says this again in Thessalonians uh, Daniel, it speaks of this taking away or this taking up or this rapturus, as it says in the Greek, of gathering up and taking away and snatching away. So here's what you need to know about this, guys. This is our final point. In fact, if the worship team comes up, that would be great. No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the exact time of Christ's return. So always be ready. That's really it. Always be ready. I mean, what if Jesus came back tonight? You know, would we be like, would we be in a good zone? Would we be like in a really bad zone? Like, oh, if I had any idea, you know. I know there's people who really want to live their life their own way 
And if I know he's coming back, I'm going to tune it up a little bit. I'm going to kind of get on track. Or, you know, someday, you know, once I make it, then I'm going to maybe serve God. Or someday when I, you know, get money, then I'm going to maybe give to this cause. Or someday when I, this, I'm going to maybe do ministry. Or, you know, be in relationship with God now. Be all in. Be sons and daughters of God. Be in the word. Be in the spirit. You will have a sense of what God's doing. You will be able to recognize the times because God will begin to show you by his word and by his spirit Uh, The Bible talks of the sons of Issachar who were very wise and understood their times. There's some people who have no clue of their times. There's a lot of people going through life. They have no idea what life, what season, what they just checked out and clueless. But as sons and daughters, we can go, oh, wait, there's some markers. And these markers are off the list. Check, check, check. These ones haven't. But clearly there's a timeline. No one knows the day or the hour but there's a timeline and we're somewhere in this realm waiting for A, B, and C. And you and I can be sons or daughters who recognize the times and be intentional. Our part in the meantime, God's gonna do his part, but I think our part is you have friends and family members and neighbors who don't know God's love through Jesus Christ, who haven't experienced his forgiveness. And your part is to step into the priesthood. Now is the time for you to step into the priesthood. Not tomorrow, next year, How many of you know tomorrow sometimes never comes? Now is the time to step into the priesthood, your priesthood that you're called to. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.